Full send. And with that, welcome to another episode of the Lotcast. I believe this is episode number four, and we are back again for another week talking another Friday night NC State game. Trey, Alec, and Assad are here, and we're joined by our special guest from the Red and White Pod, Evan Roberts. Thanks so much for being here. I think I'm muted. Yeah, good start there. Uh, (laughs) I appreciate y'all having me. (laughs) I should know how to do this, you would think. 322 episodes later. Yeah. I appreciate it, fellas. I I like what y'all are writing. You guys are creating some good stuff, so keep it up. Thank you. So so I guess we should just uh, talk about, uh, or should we maybe not talk about that that Virginia game (laughs) on Friday night? Uh, (laughs) State kind of got that one handed to them. I think we can all kind of agree, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was one of those games where they were lucky to get the win. Um, you know, I, I I don't think that they, to be honest, I don't think that they deserved the win. Virginia, in real time watching the game, it looked like they played, they outplayed NC State, especially in the second half. And then going back and looking at the game afterwards, uh, rewatching it, um, which was hard to do, to be honest, because uh, <laughs> it was just kind of shaking my head in a, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, going going down the stretch in, in the fourth quarter. Uh, they were the dominant team, and um, they they did everything they could to win the game, except for some boneheaded penalties right at the end. And they kind of like snatched defeat from the jaws of victory, and kind of took the took themselves out of the game. But uh, it, you know, especially what they were doing offensively was really uh, working our defense um, to the point that it was um, kind of frustrating uh, on the rewatch. It's nice when they uh when when they're the ones that throw the game away though. <laughs> For a change, that's I mean, nice. are we not deserve one of those after all of this? I mean, like after all yeah. these years, yeah. For for it the roles like, to be reversed, like I think we yeah. should all take a minute and appreciate that because it was like NC State shit upside down. It's basically what it was. <laughs> right, I'm I'm here for that. I need more yeah. of that. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it was so they it could have been worse. Is is something that we got to get off the uh, off the table? Yeah. Uh, to start this thing off, is is it definitely? It, they won the game, and they probably shouldn't have. It could have been a lot worse for one and zero. I think when you look at the context of it, though, and you look at where State was going into that game, you know, we saw a team that I thought the ceiling for was a lot higher than where they were actually playing at. I think Notre Dame probably uh, um, displayed that a little bit. So this was kind of a game where it's like, okay, you got a bad team. Um, you know, zero and three. You know, show me that you're that you're moving toward that, and that's what I was really hoping to see. And I I felt like it was it really didn't. You know, it was kind of like the same mistake mistakey team that we kind of saw at Notre Dame. Not as many drops, but you know, I thought Armstrong still struggled. Um, I thought they still got beat on multiple play actions over the course of the game, which uh, is not you know is not great. You know, it, yeah. it it left a lot to be desired for me. Uh, even mm-hmm. as a win. Yeah, I, yeah, I would add, I think that um, I, I kind of had a sinking feeling all day Friday. Uh, you know, I got home from work and I got out my dinner to eat and watch the game. And I said, this is going to go to overtime, isn't it? It's just going to be one <laughs> of those games. And we were, we were so close. And um, I know we had, uh, we had Caroline Darney on last week and talk a little bit about that Virginia team. And she mentioned Anthony Calandria. And that kid's a gamer, man. Yeah. That kid is a gamer, and, and he's going to be a stud. I'm shocked they're not playing him this week. But um, 
he really worked our defense and and showed us the holes that are in our defense that still have to be fixed. I thought Assad wrote a great article about that today uh, that's you. up on our website. So, um, yeah, I, I think that uh, there's a lot of things that this team has to work on for sure. I could also say they sorely missed Jordan Houston in the pass, pass blocking. Surprisingly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a, a low-key aspect of Jordan Houston's game that he, he was able to provide that I don't think that he got a lot of credit for was providing that extra bit of blocking back there, which definitely was needed. Um, but, you know, I speaking of Kalangia, I think, you know, Caroline was very uh, prescient in, in her predictions about the way that the game might go and the way that Kalangia would play. Um, and for a freshman to you know, in, in my opinion, outplay the, the veteran Brandon Armstrong um, was a bit of a surprise, uh, but he was doing all of the things that we would want Brandon Armstrong to do. He was scrambling, using his legs in order to keep the pl- passing plays alive instead of just tucking and running, uh, you know, at, at the soonest opportunity. So um, the, the main thing that really impressed me was his accuracy. Uh, he was throwing short balls, deep balls down the sideline, back shoulder throws, all of the kind of stuff that that you know you would expect a quarterback at this level to do, but not a freshman. Yeah, uh, do we before we move on to other thoughts here? Do, do we kind of feel like maybe this game was was a little bit maybe Brennan Armstrong was too big for the moment, I guess, and the moment was too big for him in a sense being back at Charlottesville because it just felt like he was off again. Uh, I think that's starting to be the reality that it's not just the moment. I just think. That's who he is at this point, and we need to accept that he is not going to suddenly turn into 2021 Brendan Armstrong. That's my take on it, man. I started been thinking about that for a while, and he was not good in this game. I think he made he missed a lot of reads. I just think he made a lot of mistakes that you wouldn't expect a guy who's been playing football for like 40 years to to make. And I just at, at some point we have to just adjust. Like, all right, this is who we are. This is who he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't think it was the moment at all for him. Alec, your thoughts uh, on on that, but also your you you wrote a really good article on Concepcion, and uh, that's one bright spot that came out of this game. He's second in, I believe, he's second in the country among freshmen in receiving yards. So, yeah, very impressive start to the year for him. Who's ahead of him? Uh, the kid at Colorado. Oh, okay. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, he was. He he's what they needed at receiver. I think you know this is still a group that is still finding itself. You know it's it's been inconsistent. I think some guys have had bright moments, but there's not really a, a number two out there right now. Um, except for the offensive performance at Virginia, that was a number two. But um, <laughs> <laughs> um no, Concepcion is is he's just so good at things that a freshman shouldn't be good at. And and we you know we've had good receivers here, um, but we haven't had a kid like him who can create separation to that level. So you look back at, at who our good receivers have been you know the last couple of years. It's more been outside receivers who you know are bigger guys right who who will out physical DBs right who are who are bigger than them who can catch the ball over them catch the back shoulder ball have great you know ball skills and make a messy obviously. Um, this is a, this is a different kind of guy. This is a home run hitter type guy. Right? This is a guy who will leave a safety five yards behind him, um, and it's very exciting to see him already be that good. I think everybody kind of expected him to be a a, a 
a difference maker. Um, but I, I would have thought it was a little bit ambitious to say he was going to be the best receiver on the team in week four. But he very clearly is. And that's what saying. What's y'all's take right. on the wide receivers in general, like the rotations and why hasn't a number two emerged or, you know, why is, you know, don't, I think don't Concepcion, love, you get more targets. Am I, am I crazy there? Or what's y'all's take on the wide receivers? Don't, um, don't love the way the rotation has been, has been used to this point. Um, it, I, I wrote this as well on whatever day it was. Um, the, the outside receiver position doesn't really make a lot of sense to me right now. Um, Keon was saying, is not an outside receiver. I think if you're going to play out there, you have to have one of two physical traits, which is to eat size, or you have to be fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he's neither. So, um, I mean, like, it's just the reality. I mean, he's got about, what, like a 4.6, I think is what he runs. At, anyway, he's 5'11". That just is not the physical attributes of, of an outside wide receiver. Um, and I think you see it, you know, we saw it in Notre Dame when we got a little bit more man coverage, we took a few more shots down the field because of it. You know, he, he's not separating on the outside, right? He's not running yeah. by guys. So, you know, I, I think he's a slot receiver um, and he's playing on the outside. And I want to see more of the guys that have the ceiling to him. Because I think, you know, like Timmons has a really high ceiling and I don't he, he hasn't had very many targets yet. Um and I don't think we've seen State try and create a whole lot of one-on-one opportunities for him. And his size creates mismatches. And, you know, he's shown some ability, right, to win those one-on-ones even when he's not, you know, separating from coverage. But a lot of it beyond Concepcion's targets don't, doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Like, uh, I think Trent Penix has four catches on the year. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say, I, I, I was thinking about it, and I almost wonder if, Penix is just struggling to mesh with the new system. There's a whole lot going on. I think you ran eight routes on on um, Friday. Yeah, I, I'm wondering if it's just something that he was used to, you know, the way that things were done, and now it's something completely different, and he's just kind of struggling to to, to fill that void. Because I feel like he would have been the number two guy with Concepcion, and, we're, and like we were, we're sitting here thinking about who it is, and I would have to say it's Rosner at this point. I mean, I don't know who else it could be. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think, yeah, I think it it needs to be Concepcion, Rosner, and then some combination of Gray and Timmons. And then, as much as I, I've been a, a stand for Porter Rooks for a number of years, um, I'm not sure that you know he's going to make the heavy rotation as as much as the other guys have shown more promise. So I think that part of it is Brandon Armstrong, or it's his progression through the reads because. There are several plays where those guys are on the field, they're making the right routes, they're making the right cuts, and they're open, and he's just not finding them. So then if they don't get a target, it's almost reflected poorly on them when really Mm -hmm. the guy throwing the ball didn't find them at the right time. So uh, it becomes really frustrating to watch when he's he's feeding Concepcion because he knows that's a reliable catch. But those other guys are running good routes too. I, I think that Rosner has been creating separations. Uh, you know, obviously Timmons and Gray. We know how, how much speed that they have. But it would be it would be nice to not to take catches away from KC, but to spread the ball a bit more. It's it's like the opposite problem of watching Devin Leary hold the ball for so long last year. 
uh, because he just didn't want to make a mistake. It's like the opposite problem of that where he's focusing only on either one guy or if he's not there, then he's going to run um, and, and not really looking for the other guy and not, not going through his progressions. I really like oh, that. was um, pretty clear in the last possession. He had, no, he had no intention to ever throw the ball. No. Right? I mean, it, you could just tell he, he was running the whole way. He was not taking any risk with it. Especially he was, he less got than the 30 seconds. Out. That's like the perfect time to, you know, to, to try and run or ship the middle. Yes, I mean, it yes, works, but I mean, how many times is that really going to work out for you? Yeah, that's not going to work against a lot of schools uh, left mm-hmm. on the schedule. But you could definitely see that was what he, that was his intent that whole time. I'm not sure if this is better or worse, um, but I think a lot of those were called draws on that last possession. Which could be, I, yeah, could have been, and that kind uh, of speaks to. Uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say. Well, I know the first, the the there was one where he definitely was dropping back and decided to tuck and run, but I don't know if mm-hmm. the rest of them were called or not. But yeah, but why call a draw in that situation? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it was the end of game management. We, we can we can we can go in on that in a minute. I have some takes on that as well. But oh boy, um, <laughs> we, let's let's hit on some good things real quick because yeah. we started off rather rather negative here. Um, Caden Fordham, Caden Fordham. I know, yeah. like, oh, yes. I know he made a uh, he made that boneheaded late hit penalty, but other than that, he looked like the second coming of Peyton Wilson out there. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's mini Peyton. He's mini Peyton. He made the same mini Peyton mistake that Peyton did when he was a you know freshman (laughs) sophomore. Like he would have done the same thing. He's mini Peyton. They play the same way. It's wild, wild to me. (laughs) I love watching it, but it's wild to me. You can find two of them, two of those guys. Mm -hmm. That makes me excited for the future of the linebacker position because you know when when you lose a guy, when you lose guys like Drake Thomas and Isaiah Moore, uh, and then you don't really have. A, a huge turnover because you've got all those guys with experience back there like Jalen Scott, Peyton Wilson. Uh, but Caden Fordham, uh, just a redshirt sophomore, he's got me excited for the future of the, the linebacker position when we have to say goodbye to those guys because, uh, yeah, he, he looks good. Very instinctive. Honestly, yeah. it reminds me of, of Drake in that way. Um, he made. I mean, he made a great play on the. We had the fourth and one stop at the right at midfield. I mean, he made yeah. that play. He didn't make the tackle, but but that entire play, he created a whole cluster in the backfield just by penetrating um, the gap immediately. Yeah. And so, speaking yeah, of that, I I don't know if it's a if it's just a factor of how poor potentially UVA's offensive line was, but the front six for State got into the backfield consistently throughout the game. Like they were regularly flushing out the pocket and, and forcing Calandria on the run. Um, and I don't believe, especially uh, just the front three, I don't think that I've seen that much pressure being put on the quarterback um, in, in quite a while. So that, that was nice to say. I thought Hibbler really had a good game, you know, in that regards. Yeah, he really He really collapsed the edge a few times. He got a couple sacks that game, but he was more impactful just than than the two sacks. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if y'all have seen it. His injury status for this game, but um, oh, I didn't uh, know he was injured. I think yeah, we he, came out of the the played. game better than I think we expected to. I, I think the only one I know of that isn't playing Friday is is Boykin. Correct? I believe he's the only one that isn't. Okay, that'd be great. So yeah. they released the two deep earlier in the week, and I believe he wasn't on it. I did not see Hibbler, but I would have to go back and look. I don't think McMahon but, is going to play. But McMahon, he, he yeah. 
before, yeah. That showed up a couple times, too, because they had a couple confusions in, in, in the center of the offensive line on a couple of um, uh, rather obvious blitzes, I think. So, you know, it helps to have the veteran center out there. That's the guy who, who you know, aligns the blocking schemes and the pre-snap. So, you know, I definitely want him back. Um, I really, really want Boykin back because, you know, we got some green players on the back end now, and I think Louisville is the a team that can abuse that. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, I, I, it sucks that he's not going to play because that would be a big thing to have. Losing him in Harris is something that just hurts really bad in this defense. Yeah, and because of that, the more downfield shots that we saw from UVA and we've been seeing from other teams, just expect that to continue because people know now that that's a weakness. There's enough on film for those passes being available that it's now it it, it feels like we're going to be in for a long season with these uh, continued attempts at, at deep shots. So looking at the, the two deep here, I do not see Hibbler's name. On, actually, I do. I do actually. He is. He's there backing up Davin Van on the two deep. So he. Okay. It says. It looks like he's going to play. That's good because he was a an, an under the radar kind of name that I I myself wasn't tracking, but it, he's kind of emerged here uh, as being really impressive. Yeah, and I guess another one that I would say uh, is Sean Brown. I thought Sean Brown had a pretty decent game. Obviously, yeah. he got the pick that was aided by Bishop Fitzgerald, who I know. Uh, some people have been critical of, but he made a nice play there. Those two guys have kind of filled in nicely uh, in spots where they've been needed. State's going to sorely miss Jakeen Harris on Friday, though. Let's just yeah. say that. Yeah, I think I think they're coming along. I mean, that was that was a nice play from Fitzgerald. Um, you know, they're obviously the, the guys I was talking about. That um, you know, you get a young player. Uh, like Sean Brown, right? Just a green guy like that, right? You get, you know, your wandering eyes at times and things like that. And those are the kinds of things that have hurt State on defense this year. Where they've been eaten up by play action and, and things like that is the wandering eyes. And, you, know, you, you, you know, those guys are going to play a lot this year um, because obviously Harris is down. I guess Rakeem Ashford is back, I think, for this game. Yeah, he was on the, he was backing up somebody on the two deep. Yeah, it'll be nice to, to have him, have him, but, you know, they're going to miss you know the two starters for sure so um that hurts um uh Uh, so i you know i i do want to say that i i was a bit frustrated by the running game um was expecting more out of that and and i'm not sure whether they just sort of abandoned it or like, like what was going on you know it i understand at this point we kind of have to settle in that Brandon Armstrong is going to be the team's leading rusher. That's what he was at Virginia. That's just the guy that he is. Um, I'm I'm not a huge fan of a quarterback being a team's leading rusher, but you know maybe that that just it is what it is. But uh, Michael Allen being the the second leading rusher at only 36 yards that that mm-hmm. is kind of like especially against a team like Virginia that seems poor in my opinion. Right. Um, yeah. So. I mean, that's a Virginia I mean, the, team that lost to James Madison, and we couldn't run the ball on them. So the last place defensive team in the league, and you can't run the ball like that yeah. seems poor. Yeah, I'd say that seems pretty poor. Yeah. I mean, that, that's terrible to me, and I think yeah. they have to get that fixed. And that's it's why the, that's why I think the news of Jordan Houston redshirting and planning to transfer, which is essentially what was implied, um, is not good. Is because while he didn't, well, he wasn't a guy that would go get a hundred, a hundred fifty yards a game. He was the kind of guy that could spark the run game if he needed to. 
And I think ah, disagree with that. Uh, I you look at his top end and his average yards per carry. We're nowhere close to Michael Allen's. You want somebody to spark the run game, get the ball in Michael Allen's hands. Well, that's fair. Yeah, it's been talking about this year. Yeah, but I mean, when Michael Allen wasn't there, and you know, when Demi was hurt last year, who did they rely on? They relied on Jordan Houston. So. Well, it's because they had to. Otherwise, they're going to Demarcus Jones and Delbert Mims. I think it's a product of not having a backfield. Okay, right? yeah, that's Miss, fair. missing on a bunch of guys. That's that's just, you know, let's let's be honest about that. I think you're, you know, I I, I expected more of Jordan Houston when he signed, right? And he just mm-hmm. never could break away. He could never get break off that big run. And I don't know if it's Jordan Houston or how they were trying to use him. I tend to lean towards. You know, they just haven't had a they haven't had a dynamic back and and that's why I think everybody was so frustrated when they were using Jordan Houston and not using Michael Allen because he is the difference maker in that backfield. And even Kendrick Raphael showed the potential to be that guy as well. Right. But I I think Jordan Houston's departure has no impact on this team other than, you know, helping a porous offensive line with some pass blocking. I don't think so that, offensively he was going to make the difference. That leads to an interesting question on my part then, uh looking ahead uh to the future of the run game. Um, do we think Jonathan Paylor is going to play running back or wide receiver? <laughs> no, nah, he's a slot guy. Yeah, they better they better pick up a, a running back in the portal. They absolutely have to. They they should have done that this year. And I know there was speculation with Cooley, but when you see a guy like um, uh, the Virginia kid who they just pick up, Pace Kobe Pace from Clemson, you're like, how did they get? How did they get him? Right? What, what were we doing sitting on our hands there? I mean. That guy, you know, maybe not a difference maker, but he's a quality depth back that we surely could have used. And I just complete miss that they didn't bring in a portal running back this year, this offseason. Yeah. yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, I, I'd agree that Allen. Allen is the best back. I think I think they have two guys that are good and could become really good. Um, I don't – it got some Ricky Person vibes from, from Allen in this game with the need to get as far outside as possible on every single run. <laughs> um, I don't know if that was like – if that was designed. I didn't really watch those back too much. But, you know, I, I saw that a little bit. But, you know, I think, I think Dylan McMahon is probably the best interior run blocker on this team. And getting him back, you know, will help a little bit. Um, but what you mentioned aside about, about – Armstrong being a leading rusher, yeah, I, I think that's probably going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it is is a recognition that the team struggles to to truly run block. Um, you know, when you, when you run your your quarterback draws, you basically run the box out of the box into coverage, and you can mm-hmm. you know create that way a little bit. And that that kind of honestly seems you know intentional at this point. Well, what's what shouldn't be intentional is taking your short yards back, double mims, and and running them twice deep in your own territory uh, at the end of the game when you really, really, really need a first down um, to to ice the game, and uh, you pick probably of all the running backs on the roster the least uh, ideal choice. That felt to me like uh, last year. Uh, if 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 this was last year, then randomly putting Jack Chambers in the game—that's what it felt like to me. <laughs> so it was—I mean, it was a concession. I mean, it was like I just that—that that was so. I I actually thought the game was pretty well managed on State's end. Um, I thought the play calling, the play design, was pretty good for the course of the game. 
and it was what it was, right? We had, you know, a bunch of miscues at times and we were, you know, sitting on an eight point lead, which you were hoping for more at that point. But um, it, it was kind of like, you know, an execution thing for me more than anything else at that point. But that sequence, that series bothered me a lot mm-hmm. because it doesn't make sense at all that you would take a situation where you generated two turnovers on back-to-back drives with a one possession lead in the fourth quarter and just basically fold, fold your hand and punt the ball back. And that's what that was really. It was, it was a ball security play. You know, you get the ball on your own inside your own 10 yard line. It's, you know, it's, it's trying not to make a mistake. And in doing that, you've basically made a mistake because they got the ball at like the 46 yard line yeah. after you punt that on fourth and 10. Yeah. Uh, that to me was a was the worst moment of the year. And it, it was uh, a two minute possession, and so your your yeah. defense got off the field for two to three minutes, and they had had run back on again. So of course Virginia came right back down the field, and they were in scoring position in no time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that yeah. really bothered me. Why do y'all think the running game struggled? And not just this year. I mean, I think in general, because we couldn't slow Nike Hines. <laughs> that would help. Yeah, he made a lot of mediocre blocked plays look good. Um, it's a, I think it's a technique offensive line development thing. Um, I think it has been. Uh, I think when you look at the last couple years, you know, I think you see a team that isn't blowing assignments. I don't think it's it's missing blocks, but it's just not winning enough one on one. You know, run blocking is a cohesive movement. And, you know, if, if one guy loses, right, it changes the play so much. Um, I, I think it's they're just they're just not winning enough at the line of scrimmage. I think they're not winning enough of the recruiting battles for offensive tackles. It seems yeah. like they had a, a lucky streak. You know, maybe it was not luck. Maybe it was just more a good evaluation in terms of taking diamonds in the rough. But you can only run that so long and and sometimes you know if a guy is a a blue chip player he's a blue chip player so um you know the teams that have like legit four-star blue chip offensive linemen they tend to have strong running uh running games so it seems like i don't know i feel like uh for a while there it seemed like dave was kind of drinking his own kool-aid with um being able to take these two and three star guys and develop them into nfl talent um, I think that that is not necessarily a measure for long-term success. You can have great stories, like you can have an Iki Aquano like that, uh, mm-hmm. a recruited guy, and and send him to the league. But that that shouldn't be an overall strategy. Like you still need to go get dudes. Yeah, I was yeah. just gonna say the same thing. I was gonna say I feel like if you want to have that, you should be recruiting the guys who are what Iki Aquano ended up being. Right, exactly. And and that's what I feel like they're missing. There was the one guy that we just lost to Notre Dame last year. I can't remember the guy's name. It was like... But Pam came Pendleton. Ab- Absher. There's two of them. There's two of them. Oh, yeah, there's there. two of them. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Absher was one, yeah. Carolina guys. No, I mean, that that is very much what it is. And I think if you look back at... Um, that's what the recruiting strategy is. And I, I think largely it has worked, right? It's a sprinkle of... of you know, recruitable, phys- or recruitable, sorry, developable, that's a word, physical <laughs> traits um, in guys that are, that are raw and under recruited. And you see it, you know, sprinkled with, you know, the, the big recruiting battles that you win, like Naheem Hines and 
and Jonathan Paler and players like that. Ooh, that's <laughs> I think if you if you look back at the offensive line class that's coming in, it's a lot of that. It's a lot of you know guys that are here at you know six foot seven. They have incredible frames. You know they move well, but they're super underdeveloped players, and and they're betting on that. Because I don't think that state can win recruiting battles for four and five star offensive linemen consistently enough, and I think that's the reality of the program, which has been a point of mine about Doran and a point of praise for Doran for a long time is he's been good at working around that, and that's the only way to eventually get to the next level where you can win those recruiting battles is is by doing that because we're not you know obviously you know we we were right in there for Sam Pendleton and then he took one visit to Notre Dame and he's gone. Yeah. You know, we were going to get, you know, Derek Plaz and Miami threw a bunch of money at him and he's gone. You know, that's going to keep happening. Um, and so that's kind of the idea. And, you know, I think it's maybe one position where the development of the last couple of years wasn't the same as you saw maybe on, you know, at linebacker and, and defensive line and uh, cornerback and those types of other other spots on the, on the field. Yeah, well, uh, obviously State got the win there over Virginia. I think we looked it up. When was the last time State had a game-winning walk-off field goal? It was like 2007 or something, and it had been <laughs> such a long time wow. since it had a game-winning walk-off field goal. Um, uh, what would have happened in Death Valley, but we won't talk about that. But uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, NC State now moves on to a hey, home Friday night game against what looks to be a pretty scary Louisville team on paper. But then you look at who they've played, and uh, um, it's going to be an interesting matchup. They're a three-point underdog right now. It was the last time when I saw it. Um, but let's just let's talk about Louisville. What are your thoughts? Asad, why don't you go first? Uh, it's going to be a track meet. Um, you know, I, I think that Louisville is going to try and throw it. Um, you know, I, I think Louisville has definitely overperformed for, um, you know, where everyone thought that they were going to be. Uh, especially first year new head coach um it it, it seems like uh you know there's a, i don't know what the status is with a lot of the carryover with the Satterfield players versus what they brought in in the portal um but you know i, I their strength of schedule has just been okay but uh just in terms of numbers they're putting up numbers and 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 mm-hmm. state isn't so then that that's just going to make the line be where it is and uh i i think let's not undersell putting up numbers i just i was just talked about this i just interviewed a louisville guy and jack Plummer went 18 for 21 for 380 yards and five touchdowns yeah and joar um was forgot his last name already there you go joar jordan had a touchdown run of 40 sec 42 yards and a touchdown catch of 75 yards like they're putting up explosive video game numbers, yeah, and that worries me a lot. Same, yeah, yeah, especially with the injuries in the secondary. No Jakeen Harris, no Devin Boykin. I mean, that's that's really the the big concern area for me. But I I want to to look at their schedule and say, you know, do we really know what this Louisville team is? Because Boston College is not good. Murray State. Indiana almost lost to Akron. I can't remember who the fourth team they played was, but Georgia Tech. Tech, And they had to come back from behind to beat that Georgia Tech team. So we don't really know what Louisville is, but we also don't really know what NC State is either. So, I mean, it's kind of going to be an interesting game uh, to figure out who's who here. 
I will go ahead and say it. I put Louisville in preseason in my ACC championship game. I had them playing Clemson. Um, obviously, <laughs> that's not going to happen now. But because um, Clemson is 0-2 for the first time in a decade in in the conference. But um, I, I don't – I just – I don't know how I feel about this game because Brennan Armstrong has been as inconsistent as he is. Um, one thing that I will point out before I uh, shut up here is that uh, there are quite a bit of Louisville fans who are afraid of this game because they remember the last time that they came to Carter Finley and, and in, a, in a game like this and, and lost with Lamar Jackson. They also play Notre Dame next week at home on ABC at 7.30 Eastern time. So that's might be on the minds of some of the players. So that's something to watch also. I think um, what worries me about Louisville is the balance that they have. Uh, you know, this is a team that can run the ball effectively and they can throw the ball. They had a hundred yard rusher in three straight games now. Uh, and I think their leading rusher had 96 yards in the first game. And then they have a hundred yard receiver in the last two games. Um, I don't know that State has played a team yet that has that. I don't think Notre Dame is that explosive down the field. Uh, obviously, you know, you don't, you know, Louisville's played, Georgia Tech might be okay, but the rest of those are garbage cans. So, like, I mean, we don't really know, like, necessarily what they are, but we do know that they can do both of those things. And I think when you look at State defensively, they have, they have serious questions at safety, I think, right now just because those guys are so young and they're backups. And we talked a lot in the past about how many different times teams have been able to generate basically wide open guys down the field, you know, with play action. Well, here's a team that can legitimately run the ball and beat you over the top. And so that, that is uh, something I'm going to watch closely and something that, that I'm particularly worried about is, you know, I, I expect to see Jeff Brom is very creative offensive coach. So we're going to see the misdirection and we're going to see the eye candy and um, we'll see. I mean, he, he really overperformed at Purdue um, for, you know, being able to compete at a high level in the Big Ten and take them to the Big Ten championship game. Like, it's, you know, if he can compete at a high level in that league, there there's no reason why he wouldn't be able to turn Louisville around into a contender. Um, you know, maybe it, it'll end up being sooner rather than later. But, um, you know, with the amount of resources they have available at, at Louisville, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if we look at it in the next two to three years and see them regularly competing at the, at the top of the league. Good start for him. Yeah. And, and the reason why I was so high on Louisville was because of the success that Jeff Brom had at Purdue. I mean, there was multiple years where he had Purdue in position to go to the big 10 championship game. And I think they even went one time, right? I believe. I so last year or the year before they did go. Yeah, they even went one time. So so he's gotten Purdue almost to the promised land. And, you know, to, to bring your quarterback with you from Purdue, to get a really good transfer receiver out of the portal in Jamari Thrash, to have a guy already ingrained in the program in Amari Huggins-Bruce. Um, yeah, this team is scary offensively. I don't know, though, where they stand defensively. And normally that would make me feel pretty good, but State's offense has been so roller coastery this year i i don't know what we're gonna get from in that regard if it turns into a shootout i i don't like our chances to be honest with you yeah you were saying before you don't know yet what 
NC State is, I think we I think we have a pretty good idea. I think we, we know kind of where they are. Um, we know who Brandon Armstrong's favorite receivers are. We know what his tendencies are, and everything is feeding through him. Um, I'm I'm not gonna, you know, I'm you know I'm not gonna feed the chorus and talk about MJ Morris just yet. But uh, I I don't think it's ready. It's time to pull on that ripcord. But um, you know, I I think we have a pretty good idea of you know of what Brandon Armstrong ceiling is at this point he's not going to be the 400 yards a game guy uh that he was that that is that much is pretty clear um and it seems like we should be expecting more from a guy with his amount of experience um so i i think it's more of a question of how much can the defense hold back like hold on I kind of feel like we know what we are and people don't want to admit it. Yeah. I don't think people know what we can be because I think we've seen a little bit of, you know, a little tempo and you're like, Oh, that's good. Let's do more of that. And then they don't see a whole lot of it. Right. So we don't know what they're trying to do. You know, if they're going to lean into that or they're just, that was just a one-time deal. I, I don't know. I just, I feel like we know what we are, but I just, I think there's some potential there that keeps us, wondering can we get a little more out of it because we've all seen flashes of the good and flashes of what could be and i think that's kind of why i think a lot of people just believe like well i kind of see what we got but there's that little glimmer of hope in there because i've seen us run tempo and just move the ball at will Mm -hmm. i i don't know why they they get away from things like that yeah, there, there was a, a long stretch in, in the second half of the UVA game where they were moving the ball well, tr- distributing it around, and then it just kind of stopped late in the fourth quarter. But, you know, if you can just take that and <laughs> do it for an entire game, you might you might have something. I'll, I'll give you a bit of positive for this Louisville game is that their linebackers are extremely young and are sort of – I won't say dink and dunk, but you know, short passing game is going to put a lot of pressure on those guys, and that's where you know the matchup kind of tips in our favor. So while they have a match, uh, you know, they have a favorable advantage with you know our lack of safeties and inexperience and their big play potential, state's ability to you know work the field sideline to sideline is really going to put pressure on those inexperienced linebackers. So there's there's a positive there. I think that's a positive matchup for us. It sounds like it's time for Trent Penix. <laughs> oh God, yeah. no, no, that's what, no! That's Stop one thing trying that to make Trent Penix a thing. Why yeah. are people trying to do this? He is not a thing. We know he's here for five years, right? I, we've talked about this ad nauseum. He's been here for as long as he's been here, whether hurt or not. He's not magically going to turn into a five star. Right. He's not magically going to turn to a guy that is just, you know, we know who he is. I just, I don't, I just, the disconnect there between people who are like, yeah, the secret weapon, Trek Penix. I make fun of the IPS guys all the time and I tell us to James because I keep saying it. <laughs> I'm like, he is not, a, you know, he's not it. He's like, stop trying to make him happen. But like, based I on the number, based, based on his usage rate throughout the years, how do we really know that? It never really seems like he's been fed enough for us to have a, a good confidence level that, that he he's not that guy. But if he was, then he would be that guy, right? They would be feeding him, right? It's it's the same thing. We, I mean, I get that argument because you can say that for other guys like 
Julian Gray. Like I think Julian Gray's got more top end potential to be a mismatch nightmare than Trent Penix does, right? Or but yeah. he doesn't get fed enough. Or even Porter Rooks were saying about him, you know, for a few years prior. And you just said yourself, like he just hadn't panned out to what he's going to be, right? I, it's yeah. the same thing, man. Like I, I just the people trying to make the Trent Penix thing a thing to me. Like I, I appreciate him. I think he he's good at some some things. But I mean, Dave said himself, he was hurt all off season. He's out of shape. He's not in, uh, he's not, that's why he's not playing as much as he is. He said it in his last presser. Like, Mm -hmm. I I just don't think it's there for him. I'd rather see those touches and, and all that, you know, exposure go to Michael Allen or Kendra Graffiel or one of these other guys with a a ceiling that we do not know of yet. I'm pretty sure we know what Trim Penix's ceiling is. That's interesting. Uh, I actually didn't know that. uh, I didn't hear that presser. So I didn't. You no, know, he was hurt for that long, and he was banged up coming into the season. That does explain a little bit of the lack of usage. I, I don't know. I actually think his ceiling is 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 up there for sure. I don't think a guy that's six foot, whatever he is, and two, what is he, two thirty, that can run what, uh, four, was it four four eight or whatever he runs, uh, you know, is a guy that doesn't have have a high ceiling. But it's true that he just has not been healthy for you know a long time, and and you do have to. You know, at some point, be healthy. I mean, we even got a candid Dave Doran moment about that when he was like, "Yeah, Trent gets hurt all the time," which you know that was pretty. Yeah. That, that was that was surprising, but um, yeah, I, I I really I really think it's it's a possibility. I'm still holding out. You know, hopefully. yeah, I think I think one of the big things with that why there's so much hype around not hype, but why there's so much people hoping that Trent Penix has a breakout year is because look at the history of Robert and I and tight ends. And that's Agreed. something that that's something We've that I've seen that actually... from Ju- Juice Farine, though, right? We've yeah, already seen. True. I'd rather yeah. see him out there than Trent Penix, right? We've seen Juice Farine. He's going to make a lot of mistakes. He's a freshman. He is making mistakes, but his top end is a lot higher than Trent Penix is at the current or where they are currently. I will 100% agree with that. I think it bodes well for the future, at least um, with a mm-hmm. lot of these young guys. Um, you know. That with Paler coming in, plus with Concepcion and and Vereen, um, you know, if MJ Moore is, is really is the guy to take over, if you know, if the wheels fall off this season, you know, uh, you know, obviously, you know, we're gonna punish ourselves to continue watching no matter what. But um, you know, it, it does <laughs> seem like things are lining up <laughs> for next year. I do, yeah. yeah I, I just I think year. that the biggest thing for for me um, about the, that is is that you know I caution people to panic if State loses this game because the future does look bright with all the offensive talent we've got coming in. You know, we've still got young guys like Julian Gray uh, and of course Concepcion, Juice Farine, and then you add the guys like Jonathan Paler in this recruiting class coming in, and um, you know I think. I kind of came into the year expecting it to be a rebuilding year. And then I changed my tune a little bit when I read a little bit more about the team. But as we've played the first four games, it's, it's kind of a rebuild and, and I've accepted that. And if state wins seven, eight games this year, I, I understand it. You know, it's a team trying to find their footing again after having so many expectations for last season and probably the most talented team to ever walk through the, the Murphy center. And, um, yeah, I think it's just kind of turning the page to turning a new leaf. So I wouldn't caution this. I would caution this fan base to 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 pan and to not panic uh, if things don't go well Friday night. 
State fans are going to panic. I mean, that's just yeah. what we do. Yeah. That's just what they do. I mean, that's just what. Yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah. I'm, still but, hearing, let me, let me, I'm still hearing questions about why MJ Morris isn't playing, and we've already had this discussion three times, so I'm not going to have to bring it up again. But <laughs> one thing I let, think. Let is, me push back on you. Where where are they re- outside of safety? Where are they rebuilding? Wide wide receiver. When you have a four-year starter in Porter Rooks, you have an eighth-year player in Bradley Rosner. Who wasn't in the program last year. Fair fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, Keon Lassane, who's been here forever. Um, I mean, you, you've got experience at that position. Right, or, but where like else you, look at, re- you look rebuilding? at who's getting the majority of the touches, and it's the young guys. So yeah, I, don't, are they? I don't think rebuilding is, is necessarily – Retooling maybe is the better find, term. Find cyclically, like they have experience there for sure. I don't think a lot of those guys have panned out. So you're you're rebuilding from from that point, I think. So when you get like you know when you get freshmen like Concepcion and we know that those guys are good, you know I think that that is pointing toward you know positivity for next year as far as like rebuilding that position goes. You know they're definitely it's not a lack of experience. So much as I think is is either just recruiting or development misses that were you know coming yeah it back. just feels like there's a gap in experience there's some really experienced players and then in the middle there's maybe not as many medium experience and then there's a lot of fresh guys so right. that you know, I don't know if that had like lulls and and recruiting not not planning for succession correctly I think a lot of the COVID years really affected uh, that and Dave's kind of talked about that where. You kind of plan for the ups and downs of recruiting classes and graduating rates, and the, those extra years kind of threw things off. And the caps with the um, the limits on on the roster, and, and it, it really kind of kind of messed things up. So you have it might not be a full rebuild, but because you, you have guys like Caden Fordham playing a lot of time when he never didn't play that much last year, so uh, there's a lot of spots where it's just on the field, you're seeing like a really experienced guy standing right next to a guy that has basically not played. I guess retooling may have been the better, better turn of phrase. I was going to say relearning just because it's a new, new system. And I can understand that if they are playing slow because, you know, guys don't know a nice system. Right. And as they get farther down the year, they're going to learn and get faster and get better at it. I, I can accept that. I can't accept claiming it's a rebuilding year given how much talent is there and how much experience um based on playing time even you know Caden Fordham right he hadn't played a whole lot Devon Betty and Jalen Scott played a lot of football right mm-hmm. and you've, you've got three experienced linebackers in there I'm not ready to say it's a rebuilding year but I I will pass on that it's you know the offense is just not put it together yet because it's a whole new system it's a whole new uh, approach to it the defense has been what I expect right defense has been good up front uh, the front seven and where you're, you're missing out is you know, your inexperienced safety. So I get that part. So I, that's why I can't, I disagree with the rebuilding, but maybe it's just a semantics game here. Uh, I think <laughs> no, the offense is just learning. Saying. Yeah. I, I don't think, I don't think this, this ever should have been called a rebuilding. You know, I, I picked him to win 10 games in preseason. So yeah. Same. Um, <laughs> so it, for me, it's like a lot of it goes back to what we've seeing right now from Armstrong. Um, you know, I, I had a bet more, on him than uh, than what he's lived up to so far at this point. Agreed. Um, and so, it, you know, now that it's kind of, it, it, you know, we had this Virginia game and we looked not like what we thought we were going to look. It's it feels more like okay. Well, we got all these freshmen. You know, things are things are you know 
poking in the right direction in the future. But definitely when you go back to the beginning of the year, yeah, I, I mean, I, I was pretty sold on what we had. Um, because I was, I mean, I was high on, on Armstrong, and I do believe genuinely that if he had played really well so far, everything would look completely different. Because it's like I said after the Notre Dame game is, you know, there's plays to be had out there. It's not as mm-hmm. if the, you know everyone's just tripping on their shoes as soon as they try to run a route. Yeah. Um, it's not like it's going to be an elite offense because we can't really run the ball that well. Um, but you know, there's plays to be had there, and and so I think that's kind of been what where that message is sort of split a little bit. Yeah, the the issue last year was receivers couldn't get open, so the re- quarterback couldn't get them the ball. And this year, there's fast receivers who are getting open, and the quarterback is not seeing them to get them the ball. Yeah, I also think the scheme is better this year. Yeah. I mean, overall, I am a fan of the NI system. Yeah, I, I know that he's kind of a, a journeyman coordinator, so I hope he sticks around. He, uh, you know, and in terms of the power rankings of the top coordinators out there he was my number one pick so i was like shocked that state was actually able to land him um you know because he he is doing i think he's trying to do the things that that dave has always trying to tried not to do uh so we've seen a lot of this push and pull with the last three coordinators where dave kind of still injects his dna into the thing so um i'm hoping as the season progresses he just sort of Let's you know. Let's and I over take over with full control. What do y'all take of Dave's comment at the end? After I guess it was after the Virginia game, where he said, "Um, we need to simplify some things and do what we're good at." And then he backtracked that in his Tuesday presser, or I guess Monday presser this week, and said, "Well, we just need to block it better." What do y'all take of that? My take on. Almost anything a coach says after after a game is that it's it's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was he was pretty salt. You know, he was pretty salty, and he was pretty. It wasn't coach speak for him. It was like he he was off the cuff said it, and that's why I think when he said he took it back, kind of on Monday, I was like, that's more coach speak to me. I just thought it was a weird sequence of comment. I think. Um... I don't. I don't see how the how the play calling could need to be like simplified. I think when you look at it, like I mean, the things that haven't been executed well, at least that I've seen, and you know, I could be missing stuff, but you know, they're not necessarily like high level reads and things. You know, I mean, it's it's just you know, missing guys and dropping passes have been a huge component of the offense, especially in the first two games. It wasn't. I don't think it was quite as bad at Virginia, especially with the dropping passes part. But, um, you know, I, I think if you – and obviously you can't do this, but it, I think it makes the point is if you if you just flip those those errors of just, you know, pure execution, you know, I think the offense looks super different. And that's, you know, missed throws and, and drop passes mostly and just, you know, maybe some missed blocks along the way. Um, and, you know, I just can't imagine anything that's a schematic understanding failure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah. I agree. I tend to agree, and that's, that's why I kind of – Raised the eyebrow when he said it. I was like, well, what are you talking about? What are you seeing that I'm not seeing? Which yeah. is probably a lot, but it's weird <laughs> that he said it. Yeah, well, obviously State plays Louisville Friday here, 7 o'clock kick. Um, it, hopefully Carter Finley's buzzing. It's the blackout game. Do we know for sure? Do those jerseys actually glow in the dark? Or was that oh, just, that, I hope so. That was so cool. That was so cool. 
It, it was a cool video. I don't know. I I hope they do because they they um, between the third and fourth quarters they're going to cut the lights out and do the light show. So that I mean, yeah. that'd be cool. They did they do glow in the dark. What, yeah, what was Chris that? Tudel. We got to get Chris Tootle an acting coach. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was rough, man. Yeah. And I thought I thought Seabro was pretty good. I thought he was believable. <laughs> who was the other Tudel. ones that were in the video? It was well, Penix was one of those that was in there, I believe. And then who was the fourth one? I thought Trent balled out in the video. You can see his speed. <laughs> he, 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 found his, he found his spot. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, the three of us have our picks up on Trinity Road Times, or we'll have our picks up on Trinity Road Times. Uh, Evan, w- or what are your thoughts for Friday night? Oh, What's your score prediction, or, or how, I guess, if you don't want to pick a score, how does how does State win this game? State has got to keep everybody in front of them, and I think they will. I'm curious if they start, if they play, and this will be a change for Tony Gibson, but play less aggressive, you know, keeping the safeties back, keeping the corners back, keeping them, everything in front of them. That's what they really, I think they really need to do, because if Louisville is able to, you know, take the top off the defense, as people say, then it's going to be a long night for for the pack. But like I said earlier, I think the pack's got some advantages when they have the ball too. I think they can stress the Louisville linebackers. Can they sustain drives? You know, will they go tempo to to do these things to put pressure on the young guys? Um, I think it'll be close. Obviously, you know, Vegas picked them as a three and a half point favorite, so that doesn't uh, you know speak favorably favorably for us. But like you said earlier. And, you know, my guest said, on my Louisville guest said the other day is that weird things happen to Carter-Finley. They always end up playing a night game here. We always do a blackout. And, you know, it's it's usually a good game. And, uh, you know, I think State's got a chance. They have to do some things differently than mm-hmm. they have been doing them. So, yeah, I, I think that the line is as close as it is. I think it has more to say with – it's in, that's in line with uh, some of the Louisville fans being – apprehensive about coming there. I think that there's a, a general overall respect for night games at Carter-Finley, the crowd, that uh, the, the effect that they can have on the games. I think there's enough respect for that crowd across the conference. I don't think people like to come play there, uh, you know, with good reason. And um, so that that probably works in, in State's favor, at, in, and at least it, it will a little while, um, you know, but... We know how quickly the air can go out of that building if, if the offense isn't generating uh, anything mm-hmm. to, to keep them in it. So, um, you know, they're, they're going to need to do their share. Has anybody checked on Cardinal Gibbons yet to make sure they don't have a home game Friday night? <laughs> <laughs> that would be a disaster. Oh, man. Yeah. But uh, anyway, uh, so yeah, we'll have our game picks up on, uh, on our website, Trinity Road Times, uh, and then hopefully we'll have a positive podcast next week for episode number five uh but before we go i wanted to uh get our random question of the day out there and today's is what was the worst class you took in college um i've had to think about this one i'm still thinking about it so i'm gonna let somebody else go first i'll go because i've been thinking about it since you asked me that before you started recording and it's been driving (laughs) me crazy i'm trying to think of like I, I had a couple, and I'm old, so I don't really remember them all. But I do remember, like, math. It was some kind of trigonometry class. So I, I went to state, and I was like, I'm going to be a chem major. I'm going to go to textiles. I'm going to do all these things. And I was like, I took my first chemistry class. Like, this is terrible. I'm never doing that again. And dropped it. But I had to take some, like, 
trig class and I still have like a recurring nightmare that I failed that class and they gave me a degree by accident. So <laughs> it has to be that one. So yeah. uh, I think they did that. <laughs> a degree by accident. Yeah. Yeah, th- th- this was a mistake. Because uh, I, I, I uh, based on where the academic requirements are, I wouldn't get into state today based on the grades that I had in high school. Oh, uh, no chance. It was, the, no the, chance. The, bar, the bar was lower uh, back in the late 90s when I went. Um, but uh, so I majored in computer engineering and electrical engineering. Um, but then there was one class that you have to take kind of outside of engineering discipline for pretty much all the engineering degrees. And um, so I took a mechanical engineering class, statics, which is like like an intro mechanical engineering class and uh, realized like immediately that I was, I was never going to be cut out to be a mechanical engineer. And I, and I had made the right choice, not choosing that as a discipline. Um, and it, it's all physics based and it's not as much math based, which some of the other engineering classes that I was doing and just, you know, um, had the hardest time with, with that class possible. And uh, it's funny that, you know, later on in my career, I'm now basically doing mechanical engineering. So it's just how funny how things come full circle. Uh, I'll tell you guys about the uh, class that got me to change my major. I started as a fisheries biology major because I was a dumb high schooler and I was like, "Ooh, fish!" Because you know, about, you know <laughs> that was that was basically the whole point. And I I realized how much. I took bio 181 to start and I immediately realized that I hate biology and I was in a major called biology. So that should have been the first red flag, but it wasn't. And I made it all the way to quantitative chemistry Hmm. before the wheels fell off. Um, I had a professor. So quantitative chemistry is math in chemistry, which just that that's everything you need to know. So um, we had a professor. um, If you've ever been in, um, Oh, what's the chemistry building called? Why am I forgetting this? It's the water in the tunnel. I don't remember either. Uh, anyway, the chemistry building. Like, we'll just call it that. Yeah, it's, it's the one behind Harrelson, and right in Harrelson yes. is gone now. It's like 100 years old, and I can't remember what it's called. Anyway, <laughs> we had a, a huge lecture in there, and it has uh, their, their big lecture hall has three huge screens uh, you know, on it. And this this professor, I can't remember his name, um, his mode of teaching was I'm going to write on a 1961 overhead projector and put <laughs> it up here for everyone to see and you need to write all of this down yourself while I'm talking. It's yeah. 2018 but you cannot take a picture of it. You need to write it and listen <laughs> to what I'm saying. Uh, so it was a huge disaster and I got a 49% on the first test and I was like there's got to be a curve. This is a pretty hard class. And then I figured out that the class average was like a 76. And I was like, <laughs> see you guys. <laughs> that's great. Well, well that's man. what I I think mine was um, we took a, we had a mandatory required class at my school called Global Perspective Studies or GPS. And each, each year you took, or each semester you took a different themed class. And uh, it was just, it was a required class. And we had one professor uh, my sophomore year who didn't even really teach, just went in there and we, we talked about, I think it was like an eth- ethnicity thing or something about like world ethnicity or something along those lines. And we never discussed it. 
never discussed it. And like we'd have the final and everybody bombed the final because we never talked about it. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh boy, this isn't good. But everybody ended up passing the class. But um, it was a, uh, it was an interesting class to say the least. I remember, I can't, I can't believe I can't remember the name of the NC State Chemistry Building. Has it really been that long? I remember Cox, it was right next to it. It started with a C. Not Caldwell, it was a dorm, but it was something like that. I'm going to Google it. The only thing I remember about that chemistry building is I went there a few weeks after State played in the micronpc.com bowl, and there was a whole (laughs) bunch of new micron PCs sitting in that computer lab, so they (laughs) clearly had gotten a deal from the bowl. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> You're old like me. You're old like me. I'm just yeah. starting, to, starting to date yourself. Yeah. I want to remember the Micron PC Dabby. bowl. <laughs> what is that bowl game called now? Like the Pop-Tarts Bowl or something? <laughs> well, the Jimmy Fallon Bowl? That's one yeah. now too, right? Yeah. Didn't it, turn into, didn't it turn into like the FurnitureGallery.com Bowl or something? And then... Something along the lines. The Meineke Car Care Bowl. That was yeah, crazy. yeah. We won that one once. That Duke's Mayo. Duke's Mayo is just a better fit for that bowl <laughs> than than Meineke Car Care was. No yeah. offense to Meineke Car Care. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's gonna do it for this edition of the Lotcast. Evan, thanks so much for joining us. How can people uh, go and, and see your content? Uh anytime, fellas. They can just check it out on Twitter, Red White Podcast, or RedWhiteNetwork.com for what used to be Alex home first writing when until he left us, but <laughs> that's where our podcasts are now. Awesome. Well, well, like we said, that's going to wrap it up. Uh, go state and have a good week, everybody.